Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to Life Point Plus. I'm your host, Gary Moore. We're continuing our deep dive into 1 Corinthians 13 with Bob Lapine as our guide. Bob is the author of the recently released book, Love Like You Mean It. We're in the process of looking at verse 4 in 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says that love is patient. We close the broadcast with Bob telling us that most of the time, patience will mean that we choose to overlook the kinds of common slights we experience in marriage. Proverbs 19.11 is a great marriage verse. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. This is what it means to show each other grace in marriage. In the midst of the minor slights or offenses that we can occur daily, we don't allow those actions or words to get lodged in our hearts. We absorb the offense, give our spouse grace, and move on. But there are times when patiently enduring an offense is not the most loving thing we can do. We have to be careful that our willingness to endure doesn't end up enabling another person to persist in destructive patterns of sin in their own life. We are not loving another person well if we make it easy for them to continue sinning. There's an important biblical principle. There are times when the most loving thing we can do for someone else is to humbly confront the pattern of sin we see in their life. James 5 verses 19 and 20 makes that clear. My brothers, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Bob says there will be times when the most loving thing we can do when our spouse is habitually sinning against us is not to enable that sin, but to follow the counsel found in Galatians 6.1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Patience is not the same thing as passivity. Jesus was not passive with the money changers in the temple. He was patient with the Pharisees, but that didn't keep him from ultimately pronouncing judgment on them. Being long-suffering does not mean always overlooking a sin or remaining silent. When God's glory was under attack, Jesus did not hold his tongue. When the gospel was being distorted, he spoke up. His words were bold and direct, but never rooted in pride and never self-serving. So how can we know whether we should overlook a sin or confront it? Bob offers the following thoughts. Before you decide to confront your spouse, make sure you've spent time in prayer asking God to do a work. You know, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of sin. Ask Him to do the work without you needing to say anything. Before you decide to confront your spouse, seek wise counsel from godly friends, being careful as you do that you are not gossiping or slandering your spouse. Ask yourself what your motive for confrontation is. Is it to help your spouse be able to deal with a sin pattern? Or is there something more self-serving at work? If you decide confrontation is required, make sure you spend more time in prayer. 
this time asking the Holy Spirit to help you speak the truth in love to your spouse. Read Colossians 3, verses 8 and 9, and Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, before you say anything to your spouse. Ask yourself what you will do if your spouse becomes angry or defensive. Be prepared for that possibility and be ready to call a temporary time out before you move forward. Be open to correction. You may need to hear about your own sin patterns in the process. And be clothed in humility. Confronting sin in another person is never easy and usually uncomfortable. But if our goal is love, confrontation will occasionally be necessary. Bob relates the following personal story. He says, According to my mom, when I was a little boy and she told me she was taking me shopping, I informed her that if we were shopping at a store that had toys, I would be good. But if we were going shopping for ladies' dresses, I would be bad. And when you are a six-year-old boy, going dress shopping with your mom is suffering. It's hard to be patient when you're six and surrounded by racks and racks of dresses. Bob says that understanding what makes us impatient isn't our problem. It's cultivating patience that is the issue. The kind of patience Paul has in mind when he describes love as being patient with people. Philip Ryken says that patience is having the ability to put up with the frustrations we will face any time we have a relationship with someone who is just as flawed and every bit as fallen as we are. So let's do a little self-diagnosis. Take a minute and think carefully about how you would answer these questions. And then think about how your spouse might answer them. Are you easily provoked? Do you find yourself annoyed or angry when things don't go your way? Are there things your spouse does that are triggers for you? What are they? When you are inconvenienced, do you become irritated? Would your spouse say you can be demanding? In what areas? What do you resent about your spouse? Can you think of things you do that cause your spouse to become impatient or annoyed with you? Are there things your spouse does that cause you to become anxious or nervous? Are there times when you find muscles tightening or your jaw or fists clench? Let's be real. There are clearly times when each of us becomes impatient. So is there a cure? An anecdote? Is there a way to cultivate patience? Bob says there is, but it's probably not the cure you're imagining. The antidote for impatience is not to try harder to be a more patient person. It is not, take a deep breath and count to ten. Those are behavior modification techniques that may help you be more patient in the moment, but won't get you to the root of the issue. Bob continues, The way we cultivate patience, or any fruit of the Spirit, is first to learn to think about your life and your circumstances from a different perspective. You need to think about your life and what you are experiencing from God's perspective instead of from your perspective. John Sanderson says the reason impatience is such a noxious weed is because it leaves God out of our thinking. It's when we lose sight of God and what He is doing in our lives and in our world that we become impatient. It's when we fail to rest in the cradle of providence that we become agitated. The first step in cultivating patience is to pause, be still, and ask ourselves the question, 
What might God be up to in this moment? What if your spouse is doing something that drives you crazy? What if he or she doesn't think clearly and soberly about things like you think you do? What if they don't pull their own weight? Or they mess up regularly? From your perspective, all you see is insensitivity. If your spouse really cared about you, they would simply adjust their behavior. The fact that we go through seasons of suffering does not mean that God is not good or that he doesn't love us. God works in the midst of suffering. He is working to conform us to his image. So in every situation, if we can pause and remember that God is in control, that God is at work and there are bigger issues at play, we can begin to rest and find peace and contentment. We can be patient. Patience is grace fueled by love. We remember that God is patient with us, and we extend that same kind of grace to our spouse when he or she sins against us. When we apply the kind of love the Apostle Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13 to our marriage, our relationship will be marked by a foundational commitment to serving our spouse and helping him or her grow in godliness. It's a commitment that doesn't crumble in the face of adversity or trials. It's a love that says, My goal is your good, even if it costs me. Love is patient. Paul also says in verse 4, Love is kind. You know, when love is present in marriage, both spouses will be inclined toward active goodness to one another. Each says, My goal is your good. In Ephesians 4.32, Paul tells the Ephesians to be kind to one another. So what exactly is kindness? Pastor Tim Keller describes it as a sincere desire for the happiness of others. Alexander Strock says kindness is a readiness to do good, to help, to relieve burdens, to be useful, to serve, to be tender, and to be sympathetic toward others. It has been said, kindness is love in work clothes. Does that sound like you? Would my spouse say I have a sincere desire for his or her happiness, that I am ready to do good, to help, what is something I can point to recently that shows my active engagement in attempting to relieve my spouse's burdens? Would my spouse say that I am a tender and sympathetic person? How do I seek to serve my spouse in our marriage? Again, reality check. Apart from God's grace, most of us naturally tend to be concerned about our responsibilities, our problems, and our plans. But the person who has grown in the grace of kindness has expanded his thinking outside himself and his interests and has developed a genuine interest in the happiness and well-being of those around him. New Testament scholars tell us that the Greek word that is translated kindness in our Bible is an interesting word. It appears that the Apostle Paul made it up. He took the Greek noun krestos and turned it into a verb, just like we've done in our day with the proper noun Google. We now Google things. Krestos is translated a variety of ways in the Bible. Easy, better, good, gracious, and kind. Everywhere the word is found in all of Greek literature, it's always a noun, except in the Bible, right here in 1 Corinthians 13. By turning Krestos into a verb, Paul puts kindness in motion. 
Well, our time is gone for today. Have a great and safe weekend. God bless. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, please email him at pastorgary at cloverdalechurch.org. To know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening and be blessed.